Welcome again if you've listened to this podcast known as Faith to Live By, and welcome if you're joining me for the first time. I'm your host, Pam Christian, and each week I seek to help us discover and live in life-giving truth and experience all the hope truth provides. Today, more than ever, people are searching for truth, and at the same time, they are jaded and suspicious of who and what they can trust to bring them truth. Since July 2020, I've been scouring current events, seeking the Lord to gain His wisdom and discernment, and then prayerfully learn from Him how He wants us, His people, to respond, so we can actually experience the victory Christ died to give us. Since the beginning of 2020, the whole world has been subjected to seemingly unsurmountable issues. We've had so many issues occurring simultaneously, it has been difficult for me to actually decide which issues to highlight and when. For this reason, I highly recommend you go back through the list of podcasts to get the specific information and the help you need. Also, I always have much more information in my show notes than I actually address because I want you to have timely access to what you need. This week's podcast is part two concerning the deceptive liberal education that's been systematically taught to our children in a concerted effort to indoctrinate students against America and all the rights and freedoms America offers in promotion of a Marxist one-world government. Those of you with children and grandchildren in our public school systems and in liberal universities must know the content of these two podcasts if you want to save your children from the satanic plans that have been indoctrinating our children for decades upon decades. My previous two-part interview with Alex Newman helped us understand how pervasive anti-American ideals are and how our public schools and universities have become infiltrated with such teaching. Critical race theory is one such example, and President Trump understood the destructive aspects of critical race theory, turning people against America by presenting false and misleading instruction about our nation's history, and how critical race theory actually undermines the significant advancements gained with the Civil Rights Act of 1964. I know many people are only now waking up to these and other truths that God has actually been exposing since early 2020. The travesty of COVID-19, as devastating as it's been, has actually been used by God to wake people up worldwide to the truth of the extent of evil and the sinister plans for the destruction of God's people. With this and last week's podcast, I want you to be equipped and empowered to take action. So in response, I ask you to, number one, identify at least three points you either didn't know or were unclear about before hearing this podcast. Number two, commit this information to the Lord, seeking Him for what He wants you to do about it. And number three, agree with God that you will in fact do what He asks you to do. You may not know how to start with what God inspires you to do, so expect this podcast and my ongoing work to provide you with the resources and direction you need. Last week, I shared with you about the Iowa mama bears and how they learned of the horrible treatment their children were receiving with the so-called management of COVID-19 and how these two moms joined effort to correct the ill treatment of their children. Today, I want to share with you another example of children suffering because of liberal ideology in our public schools. Such stories should be headline news, but they've actually been covered up. And the only reason people seek to censor truth is to protect and promote deeds they know others would find objectionable. Today's example has to do with rural Virginia's Loudoun County School Board's on-campus bathroom policies that allowed students to use bathrooms according to their preferred sexual identity. An unsurprising result occurred on May 28, 2021, when a 14-year-old biologically male transgender student sexually assaulted a female student in the bathroom. The father of the victim attended a school board meeting in June, 
and not hearing the board adequately address the situation and instead seemingly attempting to conceal the story, he became irate. The father of the female victim was then arrested for his conduct and branded a domestic terrorist in a letter sent to Joe Biden as the President of the United States dated September 29, 2021. Following the June school board meeting fiasco, reports revealed the same biological male, instead of being swiftly investigated, was moved to a different school in the district, where on October 6th or 7th, reports vary, the same male teenager, now age 15, was accused of sexually assaulting another student in an empty classroom. You'll find links to all of this in the show notes. As a parent or grandparent with students in public schools, this story should cause you to be up in arms. We need to realize this story is not an isolated case. We also need to realize the steady advancement of liberal ideals that promote immorality, deception, lies, cheating, and so on has brought significant harm to our children with intentions to destroy our God-fearing nation, and this must be stopped. It's hard to believe, but as my guest Jonathan Butcher brought out last week, there's a lot of so-called higher thinking from individuals engrossed in humanistic academia, government, media, arts and entertainment, and the like, who have been in positions of influence and power promoting their agenda against our conservative values and morals. All of this to the demise of our children, our nation, and our virtuous Christian influence in the world. It's imperative that those of us who know the truth work hard to promote the truth in order to push back and restrain evil. To learn what is within our practical abilities and resources, I've asked Jonathan Butcher to come back today to help us know how to effectively work with school boards and bring about the corrections needed for the sake of our children and the future of freedom-loving nations. Jonathan Butcher is an endowed chair and research fellow in education policy with the Heritage Foundation. He has researched and testified on education policy and school choice programs around the United States. Jonathan also co-edited and wrote chapters in the book, The Not-So-Great Society, which provides conservative solutions to the problems created by the ever-expanding federal footprint in preschool, K-12, through and higher education. So here's my interview with Jonathan now. Jonathan Butcher, I want to thank you once again for being with me on Faith to Live By. Everything you offered last week on this podcast was so enlightening, and I'm looking forward to what more you have to share with us today. Thank you. Great to be with you. Oh, thank you. You know, I'm not one who wants to talk about problems without bringing solutions. And last week, you helped us understand the three steps that led up to the critical race theory. You might want to recapture that and then help us understand what we can do about this travesty that's in our public school system. Sure. So like we talked about last time, critical theory is a Marxist idea that came out of Germany in the 1920s because these Marxists were frustrated that the German working class had not taken over in the same way that the Bolsheviks had been successful in Russia. And that they came to the United States because they were chased out actually by the Nazis and came to the U.S. in the 1930s settled at Columbia University, where, as you can imagine, their ideas spread far and wide, especially in academia. They influenced what became known as critical legal theorists, who applied this critical thinking that the world is divided between oppressors and the impressed based on economic class. They applied it to American law and said that American law is systemically oppressive because it is meant to support the ruling class. Critical race theorists, as they became known in the late 1980s and early 1990s, 
said, well, look, we agree with critical theory. We agree with critical legal theory, but we're going to take it one step further. And we're going to say the oppression is a class struggle, but it also has a racial dimension to it. And so the divide is a ruling class that is trying to keep those who are marginalized or ethnic minorities always under their boot. That's the claim that critical race theorists then made. You were talking about solutions, and I'm happy to go into what some of some of those are today. Before you do, though, you made a statement that I want to go back over. You said that they applied critical thinking, and I don't see that in everything you shared last week. I didn't see where they were actually applying critical thinking in their progression unto critical race theory. Can you address that? Of course. So when we think of critical, we think of uh, introspective and we think of thorough and we think of looking at different sides of an issue. Critical in this context of critical race theory and critical theory is opposed to traditional theory. So traditional theory is that there is objective truth, that we can use our reason to discern what is best based on uh, what has happened in history, what our beliefs are and our values. And there is a traditional way in which humans can organize society based on equality under the law. Critical questions traditional theory. It questions the very foundations of the liberal order. So it's not critical in the sense of a deep and thorough review of the facts as we have them. It's critical in the sense that it is... It is um, Essential? Yeah, well, it's criticizing the traditional theory. It's criticizing the foundations of traditional liberal thinking and philosophy and liberal in the form of, you know, uh, individual rights and a society based around the rule of law. So that's, that's what critical means here. Okay. And as conservatives, we would understand this approach to criticizing objective truth to being a root effort of the enemy. Well, sure. I mean, I think that it is, uh, you know, remember that Part of what Marx, what his ideas led to in the Soviet Union and in communist China was a severe attack on the church, right? I mean, I think that religion was uh, a threat, was seen as a threat by the communist regimes in the early part of the 20th century, obviously. And that was, you know, it bled out of this, um, this idea that the world is defined by conflict. And so critical theorists, so the originals, right, they're called the Frankfurt School. The original critical theorists combined the Marxist class conflict with a Freudian postmodernism, which, like we were saying, there is no objective truth. There is no reality on which we can base our ideas. And without objective truth, all we have is a moral freefall. And that's what we are seeing worldwide today, especially with all the mismanagement of this pandemic we've called COVID-19. I want to talk now about what my listeners can do. I mean, that we've got a pretty good understanding of where this mess came from. We know that we need objective truth. We need truth to line up with reality. And we've got parents who have not realized that their students, their children, have been indoctrinated with this very extensive liberal way of thinking for decades upon decades. So we've got our work cut out for us. How would you recommend parents and grandparents and others who are interested in what our American students are being taught, how would you recommend them start on a journey to correct this mess? 
Well, let me set the stage for you. So in Texas, a few years ago, a teacher in a school district presented his students with a comic strip that essentially equated the KKK with police officers. And parents didn't realize that that was being used until it came home in a child's backpack or until a, there was a, a child that told their parents who then complained to the newspaper which then made its way to the governor's office. And the next thing you know, you have the governor of Texas saying that, you know, this teacher did something inappropriate and, and she's calling for them to be fired. So how do we stop that, right? How do we get to a point where parents know ahead of time and we don't have to wait to see on the nightly news that something radical has been happening in schools? So first, let me talk about policy and then we can talk about parents. With policy, there are proposals today in five states that I know of, literally right at this moment, that say the following, that no one should be compelled to affirm or believe any idea that violates the Civil Rights Act of 1964. So you apply this to schools. No teacher or student should be compelled to believe or affirm any idea that violates the Civil Rights Act. And that matters because critical race theory, as described by the theorists, by you know, folks like uh, Delgado and Stefancic in their, in their writings, they say that critical race theory has an activist dimension. Derek Bell, the godfather of critical race theory, says that he hoped that academic resistance to traditional thinking would lead to wide, widespread resistance. So remember, critical race theory is a verb, right? It's not just a worldview, but it's also an action. And so that's why it is important for policymakers to design proposals that prohibit compelled speech. We don't need to ban books necessarily. We don't need to say you can't have discussions in a classroom. We have to be very careful with that because schools have to be prepared to help students pursue truth. And so we can do that by saying critical race theory is racially discriminatory. That's what we want to stop. Exactly. So, so those are the proposals that we'll see. When it comes to families, I think there are a couple of things. I think for starters, I think that they should say to teachers and to principals that they want to see what is being taught in the classroom. And school officials should make school curriculum, uh, lesson plans, syllabus, textbook lists available for taxpayers to view, right? We're not asking for them to make photocopies of every single textbook so that someone can take it home, but it is very reasonable to say that you should be able to put a lesson plan or a syllabus or a list of the books that students are going to be confronted with on the website so that parents can see what's in there. This seems reasonable. Sure. And then if parents are object to it, they can address it with the school. And if that doesn't you know, result in the way that, that parents want, if, if the school is not willing to reflect parent values, then it leads to what we're celebrating this week, which is National School Choice Week. And parents should be allowed to take their child to any school that they see is the right fit uh, for them to to learn. Now, one of the things I've learned in trying to get my mind around all of this is that each school district is governed a little bit differently. Some of them are strictly within their county or their district. Some of them have state input, and many of them have federal input. So I would imagine, depending on the district and the way it's governed, would impact the way a parent would go about getting involved. Sure. So you have private schools. Private schools largely have their own school board, and uh, they sometimes are attached to a church. Sometimes a church and a school are one entity. Sometimes uh, a school is uh, separate from either a church or it's uh, it's a, a secular private school, but they, they should be governed by a board. Usually they will have bylaws and covenants and, and all of the same things that a nonprofit organization would have. Then you have a traditional school district, which again, there are some 13 and a half thousand public school districts around the US and those school districts 
you know, again, largely have an elected board. They will sometimes, like you said, there are some, some districts have been taken over by the state because of persistent low performance. So that makes interacting with the governing board a little more complicated. But I, I think what parents in assigned schools will see more often than not is that you have a traditional school district that will have a number of elementary schools, uh, middle schools, and one high school or one or two high schools, depending on the size of the district. And they should take the opportunity to go and present their case before the school board. What about those districts that are actually paid school board members? I think the process of presenting your case to them is the same as with those who are appointed or who have been elected. I mean, public school boards, when it comes to assigned public schools, they are to be representative of the communities over which the assignment area uh, is zoned for. And certainly that makes sense for somebody who's elected. But for school board members who are appointed and then paid, they may have a different attitude and be less willing to hear from the parents. And so I think, uh, and like we've like we've seen, we've seen examples such as the National School Boards Association last fall, who was very dismissive of parents and tried to get the White House to enact consequences on parents. So, so when we see this, that is why we have to come back to both the policy that I was talking to you about, about prohibiting compelled speech, uh, as well as school choice. And I think when you pair those together with what we were talking about with transparency, if you can put those things together, that to me creates a, a healthy landscape for education policy, right? You want parents to be able to see what children are being taught. You want a, a provision that says that no one should be forced to believe an idea that condemns someone based on the color of their skin. And then if parents aren't satisfied with the assigned option, they should be free to choose to send their child somewhere else. So that has the makings for a complete package. Okay. And I like that. And I like that you brought out how there are policymakers and there are organizations that are already in place, such as the Heritage Foundation, that works with parents to help them know what steps they can take and also provides resources. So I don't want my listeners to think that they have to go this alone, that they're reinventing the wheel. What are some of the ways in which the Heritage Foundation can actually come alongside parents and give direction and help them succeed in making sure that their schools are representative of their values for their children? That's a great question. So first, we have a model bill, a model piece of legislation on our website that talks about the compelled speech issue that I just brought to you. And that can be accessed at heritage.org forward slash CRT. And there's a link to that model legislation. Secondly, we have what's called the Curriculum Resource Initiative, and it's a page on our website uh, also available at heritage.org with a list of curricula, of textbooks, online programs that offer a, uh, a view of American history that both acknowledges the failures in the past, but also celebrates the freedom and opportunity that does make America the world's last best hope for democracy. Uh, so we have a list of resources that can be used both by homeschool families, by private school leaders, as well as by families that want to present their school with an alternative to what they see as material that conflicts with their values. So, and the last thing I, I would leave you with is that I, I do think that we have uh, what are known as heritage sentinels around the country uh, who um, put, uh, they host events, uh, they conduct town halls, and they are a place where people can gather to talk about what's going on in their local area and find out more about who, who are the leaders of this movement in their, in their town, in their city, who are aware of what's going on and can help to give parents a platform 
Can you recall a success story that you've heard about any of our school districts in the United States, maybe one or two that would really help encourage my listeners? Well, the Alabama State Board of Education last year enacted a resolution. They passed a resolution that spelled out many of the things we've talked about right here. It acknowledged the failure that slavery represented in our our, our ongoing effort to realize America's potential. Uh, but it also said that no one should be condemned because of the color of their skin and that schools should not be allowed to teach someone, to teach children that individuals should face uh, sanction or face benefits just because of their ethnicity. Mm -hmm. So that's that's very promising. Uh, Florida has taken similar steps and actually Florida is now considering a proposal that includes this idea of compelled speech, pro prohibitions on compelled speech. Uh, in Arizona right now, they're considering a proposal to uh, create more curriculum transparency. So I think, um, I think even at the school district level, what we've seen most recently, because I think some of this is very fresh. I mean, we're talking a year, 18 months. Um, there was a school board election in Texas, in South Lake, Texas, where two board members ran for seats because the district had adopted a set of materials that dealt with you know, multicultural education, which is sort of a, a mask for uh, what we know as critical race theory. Um, so that... That is the beginnings, I think, of parents becoming involved in their local community and uh, and having a voice. I, I think that as more of these proposals at the state level gain people's attention and people come to see that this isn't censorship, this is actually protection against what is already in federal law, that I think more school boards will have the courage to step forward and take similar moves themselves. I think as we're seeing people rise up, having been made aware of the truth and that the media and government and big pharma and medical and science have actually all lied to us, not everybody, I'm not saying that with a broad brush, but a good number of people who are in positions of influence have lied to us. People are searching for the truth like never before. And I think this includes people who are on school boards. They want the truth presented. I mean, critical race theory is just one example of some extensive liberal thoughts that have infiltrated our school systems. I was looking at what happened in Loudoun County in Virginia recently with their bathroom policy that actually ended up having two girls sexually assaulted. So we want to be aware of not just critical race theory, but to see that as a part of what we need to be aware of as parents. We can no longer go to work ourselves as parents and expect the schools will be representing us without our input. Sure. And it's, it is absolutely true that critical race theory is one of a number of branches of critical theory that has come in the past you know, half century. Uh, critical race theorists such as Kimberly Crenshaw, Angela Harris, have referenced feminist movements uh, in their writings and that they base their ideas off of those, uh, off of those movements. So I think that uh, you know, there is a field and you can, it goes by a couple of names. One of them is critical gender studies. Uh, which is the same approach here, right? You take this critical idea that challenges traditional theory, you apply it to sex, right? The biological sex, and you say that there is no established norm for uh, what your gender is, right? Gender then occupies the place that sex once did. And it is a challenge to the traditional notion that the nuclear family is a healthy place. Uh, to, to package this all together, you can take the Black Lives Matter movement from last uh, the past few years. They released a number of, of um, goals or, or priorities. They had a, a Black Lives Matter week of action in schools. And one of their guiding principles 
is that they aim to disrupt the nuclear family. And they say that directly. And so clearly we want to show empathy and compassion for children who are in non-intact families or who are from backgrounds where the, the family structure is not what we would you know, call a healthy nuclear family. We want to show empathy, but to say that in by doing so we can disrupt others is, uh, you know, it's dangerous, it is discriminatory, uh, it is harmful. It absolutely is. And this is why I wanted to spend at least two of my podcasts with you on this entire topic. Critical race theory might be the catalyst that's causing us to realize the other extensive and damaging liberal points of view. And again, I might sound like I'm painting with a broad brush. There are some liberal points of view that are healthy, but not all, just as there are some conservative points of view that are healthy, but not all. We need to make sure, we live in a republic, we need to make sure that our elected officials, our governing officials, our school board personnel are representing us. And with that in mind, Jonathan, what would you like to say in closing on this whole topic of the importance of our involvement in our government? Well, I think that the the surveys are very clear. Uh, I've seen several over, I've seen at least three that I can think of off the top of my head in the past year, where voters have been asked a, a nationally representative sample of the US what they think of critical race theory's founding ideas, and they disagree with them. They don't like the idea that racial discrimination should be a part of our culture. And so I think that is what separates critical race theory from either traditional left-wing ideas and right-wing conservative thought. This is racial discrimination is what we're really talking about here. And I think that's why there are individuals on the left, Bill Maher, writers like Barry Weiss, and a number of others who have said that critical race theory is is discriminatory. This is not something that's uniting uh, anyone. What we all hope which is that America's system would allow people to pursue human flourishing and the goals that they set for themselves. Absolutely. Jonathan, I thank you so much for the work you've done, the years of work you've done. And also, I want to remind my audience that you have a new book coming out in March. Would you like to tell a little bit about that, please? Thank you. So my book is called Splintered, Critical Race Theory and the Progressive War on Truth. It's coming from Post Hill Press and uh, will be released on March 22nd. You can get it in uh, in audible version. You can get it in Kindle. You can get it hardback uh, and it'll all be all be ready on March 22nd. It's available on Amazon right now. Well, I recommend that my audience definitely looks into that. And as we go forward, as we see more people stepping up to the plate, doing what we need to do to make sure our government, our school boards represent us, we're going to see some hairy battles. We're going to see some things that are going to need to be addressed again, and I want to reserve the right to having you back on my podcast. I'd be glad to. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much. As Jonathan explained, one of the major pillars of critical race theory hangs on the claim that America is systemically racist. So I want to redirect you to some truths you probably learned when you were in school and have likely forgotten. I actually addressed these same details in an earlier podcast. In podcast number four, I had David Barton on as my guest, who made clear how pivotal the American Civil War was and is to this day for our nation. And in episode 40, in rebuttal to the claims of America being systemically racist as proponents of Black Lives Matter claim, I shared how hundreds of thousands of white American soldiers gave their very lives in the fight for their fellow African Americans to be set free from slavery. The Civil War is historically one of the most deadly of all American wars. 
this historical truth entirely refutes the claims of critical race theory, I encourage you to listen to the podcast, so look for the links in the show notes. Every episode of Faith to Live By seeks to expose lies and deceptions and promote truth and righteousness so we can be instruments in God's kingdom to see his will done on earth as it is in heaven. And as I stated earlier, we have many pressing issues occurring simultaneously, so be sure to go through the show notes each and every week. You'll find help for many issues beyond the topic of each weekly show. The truth about the pandemic and the so-called vaccines with the intended purpose to reduce the planet's inhabitants under a one-world government, has been being revealed. God is revealing what was once hidden under the claim of conspiracy theory to reveal the conspiracy facts. Dr. Sherry Tenpenny's most recent video from Clay Clark's Reawaken America tour is provided with today's show notes, which is content you won't find in mainstream media. She minces no words about the contents and the intent of the vaccine, so be sure to look in the show notes and watch that video. I've said all along, the God, the One World Order self-appointed elite claim doesn't exist, is the very one who has been revealing and dismantling their satanic plans. Praise God and don't give in to fear. Instead, intentionally seek truthful content such as I bring you each and every week, including the many links and resources I always have in the show notes. Then, armed with truth, seek the Lord about your specific place and His plan. As we each do what we are individually called to do, we will be working in unity, and we will see God's kingdom will done on earth as it is in heaven. I am not a lone voice who speaks of a glorious future for our nation and the world. There are many prophets seeing and saying what I am. This year of 2022 will be both great and terrible as we see God swiftly deal with all manner of corruption and lies and also reward those of us who have not shied away from promoting truth. Next week, since February is Heart Disease Awareness Month and I am a miraculous survivor of sudden cardiac arrest, yeah, that's right, I died and obviously was revived, but I will share my story as told in a live presentation. In effort to increase awareness about heart disease, each and every time my story has been told, I get reports of both physical and spiritual lives being saved because of the knowledge listeners gained. Don't I often remind us what God said in Hosea 4.6? He said, my people perish for lack of knowledge. Okay, so here again, I've spent the better part of my work week researching and creating this podcast to help you. And what I'd like you to do in response is to help me. And there are many ways you can do that. One is to simply connect with me. Earlier, I asked you to identify at least three new perspectives to seek the Lord how he wants you to respond and to commit to God that you will in fact do what he's asking of you. To help you with this, I've provided some excellent resources. So I want you to go through the show notes, then send me an encouraging email to let me know how my work is personally helping you. You can let me know what resources appeal to you the most and what your first action step is in response to God. Just drop me a note and let me know. Unless you contact me and let me know, I can't know if the work I'm doing is worthwhile. I work very hard each week to learn what is occurring in the world and ask God for his wisdom and insight that he wants me to bring to you. Everything I do each and every day is to advance the kingdom of God by keeping us focused on truth. If you've benefited from my work in any way, I truly want to know. Ministry is what I do full time, so if you've liked what you've heard from me today, I ask you to show your support in whatever way you can. You may notice I no longer promote any affiliate sponsors. This is in part because these past 18 months or so didn't produce a single benefit for them. 
I openly share this because if it were not for my husband, I would not be able to cover the costs associated with doing this podcast. 99% of the costs for this podcast have actually come out of our family budget. It's my prayer that you, my listeners, will become at least a partial supporter of this ministry. And if you believe this podcast is an important source of truth that you can trust, then consider becoming a supporter. Donations are certainly accepted, but they're not tax deductible. For this reason, I offer you my products and services for you to purchase. I offer my books and CDs and bumper stickers, jewelry, and other products from my web store, which you can get to through faithtoliveby.com. When you purchase through my web store, be sure to use the promo code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, at checkout and get 20% off of your order. Also, listen to this podcast for other specials and offers and discounts that I'll be making available in the future. Be sure to take advantage of the free resources and the bonus items listed in the show notes and also with my website, faithtoliveby.com. From there, you can also subscribe to my complimentary e-newsletter. As a new subscriber, you can choose one of the three gifts that I offer. And by subscribing, should anything happen to my podcast, I'll have a way to contact you to make sure you know where you can find me. Depending upon where you listen to my podcast, if you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes, Spotify, Google, or wherever these features are available. Your review helps the show reach more people and spreads the gospel and helps people learn how to best apply their Christian faith. I hope you'll join me next week and tell your friends and family to listen right here on Faith to Live By, where we learn how to gain spiritual victory over life's issues. Until next week, I'm Pam Christian asking you to remember Christ died for us. The least we can do is live for Him.